Hey everybody, this is a uh, clip from the Lost Helicopter episode with Tyler Brunkhorst. We scrapped this episode because Scott Boris's audio, we could hear him while we were recording, but you, the listener, and us listening back to it, we cannot hear Scott Boris. We don't know what he's saying. There are parts of this audio where there's just dead air. That's when Scott Boris is talking, and you'll hear the three of us responding to someone you can't hear. That is Scott. So yeah, this is why I just threw it in here as a bonus clip. Uh, filler in between the two main episodes. We didn't do a QA and a uh, for episode 112 because Lee's voice was so bad. I didn't want to subject you to multiple weeks in a row with Lee not being able to talk right. So here we go. Hope you enjoy. Welcome this week's episode of the Far Aim Podcast. We were supposed to live stream this on YouTube, then we tried to live stream it on Twitch, and the software we use is not working. So if you were emailing me saying it ruined your week, like Jeff did, um, well, oh well. Uh, not, yeah, it's all my fault. Uh, service desk is not open on Sundays to try to troubleshoot that. So hopefully we'll get that worked out. For the, the the seven we're recording, we're gonna live stream once every day for a week now. It'll it'll happen in the past by the time you listen to this though. Because Scott says he's available all seven days of the week. So we're just gonna do it. We're just gonna do it once a day. We're just gonna do it. We're just gonna do a binge. We're just gonna record the entire we're gonna re- record the entire foreign podcast twenty twenty two season in 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 a week and a half. And then just be done with it and uh they'll release throughout the year. So that's the new plan. Uh, we've got helicopter. Fl- <laughs> we've got helicopter flight legend Tyler Brunkhorst. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, recognize him from the chat. If you've joined a live stream, we're going to be talking about transitioning over to helicopters this episode. It would have been good to have the live chat, but uh, it's not available to us. It's jinxed. Um, well, we're doing the introductions too, so I'm, I'm going to try to do that. And remember, it's kind of awkward. Uh, Tyler, welcome. Welcome to the program. How are you doing? Hello, alas. It's good to get some real-time feedback rather than through that chat window. Yes. Yeah. Scott Boris, how are you doing, sir? Glad you could make it. You look great. Lee, how are you doing? Okay. We've got Lee here, too. Hi, Lee. Hey, Rob. How's it going? All right, we got through that awkwardness. I don't know how to do that and have it go smoothly. It just that always sounds awkward. Swimming. But everybody, Swimming. everybody says to do it, so whatever, we'll try it. Um, transitioning to helicopters. I was just going to jump right into this, and uh, we're going to go through what is it? Sixty-one point one oh nine, part C. This is for the overall, though. So, Tyler, how comfortable would you be going through? Because you, you remember what you actually had to do, because you don't have to do this whole thing when you're actually transitioning from an airplane, right? For the most part, the transition, if you're already a rated pilot with your certificate and you had recently done your PP check ride, you have a uh, private pilot certificate ready and you're basically adding on your rating, which is a check ride. So there are minimum hours upon which are prescribed in some of those faring, uh, not the, the faring, but the fars and uh so for the most part it's around 30 hours minimum uh depending on which aircraft you're flying the robinson has a couple more hours added that uh, they require for uh, sfar 73 
um, included in that for PIC endorsements, but ultimately, um, you know, it, you're probably going to be around 30 to 40 hours if you're, you're moving quick. So, um, if you already have a private pilot rating in any other, uh, class or category, this is just an add on for, uh, basically a rotorcraft helicopter is how it breaks down. Yeah. All right. So for hel- for a helicopter rating, except as provided in paragraph K of this section, a person who applies for a private pilot certificate with rotorcraft category and helicopter class rating must log at least 40 hours of flight time. That includes at least 20 hours of flight training from an authorized instructor and 10 hours of solo flight training in the areas of operation listed in blah, blah, blah of this part. And the training must include at least. So you... That's not including helicopters. So if you've already gotten your private, a lot of that's going to be... You, do you have to get the full 40 hours is basically what I'm asking? Like once you've already gotten a private in the chopper? It, it's pretty much that 20 plus 10. So that 20 hours is in Robinson. It, really, it's in helicopters. So they for the Robinson specific, they want 20 hours in Robinson. Um, uh, I'll have to go actually look back at that. Uh, ultimately... Expect 30 hours minimum. Uh, and, you know, most people, just the way that it's going to work out, it's going to be some added time, some percentage. And most people are going to be somewhere around 40 hours again. So it's not like a weekend endorsement, like a tailwheel or a seaplane where you can do it in a couple of days. So there's going to be a couple of months involved of pretty good uh, studying. So the aerodynamics are, there's some things that are moving in different directions. And uh, the the advantage, though, to an add-on like this, adding in a different category and class, is you don't necessarily have to have a full uh, oral exam when you're on your check ride, and your your actual flight check ride uh, is going to be abbreviated as well. So I actually looked back at mine. I did my check ride in point nine for rotor add-on. Okay, and it felt like ten minutes. It went quick, but it was yeah. exciting too. Because there's a lot of stuff yeah, they don't have to check. checked so many boxes already, and you just can just look in the table under the aeronautical, like the area of operation in the ACS, what yeah. needs to be checked that's different. There should be like some kind of grid type thing that'll tell you, you have this, you're getting this, this is what you need to cover. Yeah. So <clears> the <throat> fundamental difference in the two check rides from my private pilot check ride initially when I got fixed wing, so airplane uh, single engine land, was that uh you know we're learning navigation communication all those things pertain to like weather theory when you're doing this check ride as an add-on you're learning just about the aircraft itself so that category and class so we're just specifically talking about aerodynamics specific to helicopters some of the like ground residents things that um can affect you as a pilot, even if you're flying Robinsons, so being the most common example and the one that I happen to fly the most hours in, um, you know, those have skids, but other aircraft ha- helicopters in this case have wheels and um, other articulated suspension. So they have uh, problems with ground resonance. We, there's some classic videos like Chinooks on the ground. They're they're deliberately doing it on purpose, but they basically get in that frequency and the, the whole aircraft is shaking on the ground, rips apart. So how, how do you get out of that? So I think there's previous episodes recently where once you get your pilot pilot's license, you know, you could 
uh, learn to fly in a cub or a champ and you have no VOR and you, you don't have any of those practical experiences, but now you can by chance go fly a Saratoga because you're a private pilot. So there's some roads, you know, with endorsements and things and actual hours insurance to get there. But once you have your private and your helicopter, you know, you can move up to the bigger ones because there aren't type ratings with helicopters like there are airplanes, but there aren't any endorsements. Like tailwheel, um, high performance, complex that doesn't exist in helicopters. So, then frankly, the gating factor just getting in to begin with is money, like anything in aviation. But um, you you know, Robinsons are most popular because they started out as a personal helicopter. It wasn't meant for training. They just happened to be the most affordable. And for the sake of example, like the tail rotor on the R twenty two is the width of Frank Robinson's oven because that's how big he could fit to, you know, basically create that first prototype telerotor. So that's how practical that that helicopter was in the beginning was to go fly to the Macy's parking lot and park there, do your shopping and then fly home. And that's the purpose of the Robinsons. And they became to such a point where insurance and all the things involved with the cost, it's sure a heck of a lot cheaper to insure a more affordable aircraft and so it became very popular with flight schools that either the R-22, eventually the R-44, and more recently R-66. So R-66 really is just a bigger 44, has a turbine, has five yes. seats instead of four, yes. you know, increased payload. And we've alluded to before, um, you know, I, I would naturally would want that, but they all do have the same type of rotor system, the teetering hinge, and it has that elusive Jesus net at the top. And so um, I think that's the, the Achilles heel for most uh, observations of the Robinson rotor system is that it has that teetering hinge versus a semi-articulated or fully rigid. Um, so, for example, that Red Bull helicopter um, can do loops and rolls. And uh -huh. so they've done a couple special things to really rigid it uh, even further than the rigid rotor it is to enable that type of aerodynamics. But I've, I flew an Airbus uh, H-130 recently, you know, multi-million dollar helicopter, and we did zero G pushovers. That was amazing. As a Robinson pilot, like it says very clearly a placard, like one of the few placards within your eyesight is uh, zero G pushovers prohibited. And the reason is you push forward on that. Um, and there's something called mass bumping that can occur very quickly. And basically, in a nutshell, that rotor that's above you is going to detach and then now you're a free falling object and uh so from that that's where some of the the, the precautions as a fixed wing pilot require extra care upon some of these check rides because we're taught early on before solo as fixed wing pilots we're in the stall scenarios or awareness of stalls and slow flight you know pushing forward quickly to break the stall and so in a helicopter that's at least in the Robinsons and some other aircraft, um, it's a no go and it's going to be fatal. So there's some other phenomenons with aerodynamics that are important to learn and untrain your brain and fly the aircraft as it is and field aircraft. But that pushing forward thing, I honestly was super nervous about it at first, but I, there's been cases where I've flown multiple aircraft a week, back to back to back to back, only getting fixed, going back to helicopter. It's this, you know, because the in in the airplane you got the left turning tendency, the P factor. You have that whole adding the right rudder thing. In a helicopter, there aren't rudder pedals; it's just anti torque. 
So yes, as you add more power in, you're canceling out that torque. And it's just about adding the power. So as you're flying faster, it doesn't really matter. It's just about the power input. So it happens the way that the rotor turns on the Robinson, you're adding left pedal versus in an airplane, you typically add right rudder as you're adding power. So some of these opposites, you, you got the, the effect that you don't want to push forward on the cyclic in a scenario where you're panicking or like turbulent air. And also you're feeding in left pedal more organically, intuitively as you build hours. So those are probably the two major things that took some time to work into your brain of a scenario where we're not reverting back to what you remember from fixed wing training and push forward on the stick and, and be real aggressive with that, that yoke or control stick. And then instead on the cyclic fragile, the, for, uh, the helicopters are a bit more fragile, less forgiving. There's a lot more going on. Um, but they're, in my opinion, after all the aircraft I've flown much more rewarding, um, the cool thing inherently that you can get away with, and again, the far aim or, uh, you know, the fars, here we are, 91, 119, paragraph D, you can basically fly anywhere you want within, um, being a good neighbor. So if you're not, you know, doing anything recklessly, that that's really the catch all is that is the 91, 13 for the reckless behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, from that. You're flying 500 feet everywhere because it's more efficient on the rotor. Um, you're not necessarily going that fast inherently because of how the rotor system works, but you can see everything. There's no instrument panel in your way. Uh, you can land practically anywhere you want. Uh, if you, uh, like me, fly out of a towered airport, you never talk to ground control. You just take off from the ramp and descend back to the ramp and you're in and out. Um, there's all these advantages. So we go up to uncontrolled airports to do some pattern work. We're 500 feet below the, the fixed wing traffic. So, um, we're tighter in the traffic pattern. You're getting 12 laps in while they're getting two or three, depending on how busy things are. So you get a ton of landings in and, and again, landings depends on your, your interpretation of that because we're not necessarily full set downs. Just come to a hover that counts as a, as a landing. So, um, you know, there, there are different types of landings. There's the run on landings where you're simulating high density altitudes. You're scraping the skids on the ground. You have run on takeoffs where you're doing the same. And there's little like welds on the, the toe of the skid that are meant for this type of behavior where it's unnerving as like a tail pilot. Uh, so I got my tail endorsement in airplanes just after I got my private in, in airplane single engine land. So that that those the phenomenon of wheel landings and pushing forward on the stick to keep the the nose up, and or taking off initially that that fear of of protecting the prop. Same thing in a helicopter, pushing forward on the nose. Except this time you have a glass bubble and you can see everything, and you hear the skid scraping on the concrete or the asphalt or whatever surface you're landing on. It's unnerving. And that was probably the worst part of helicopter transition for me was the run on landings and having to come so is in. Is it like a shoe that's like designed to be war and then replaced yeah. after a certain period of yep. time? Yep. Okay. yep. It's replaceable. Like a horse tendon almost. Uh, it's less significant of a surface than surface than I imagined when I, I saw it up close and um, ultimately it's intended for this purpose. And then, 
you know, I heard about this before I started training properly with, with helicopters and, you know, sometimes they just run them down the, the taxiway and some naturally complain about either the damage left behind or the sound. Cause it, it sounds like you're crashing right. and you, you get to that point where you, you get to, um, doing this over and over and over. And it's part of the check ride and it's important. It's a, it's a safety skill because if you, you know, ultimately kind of like stall awareness, you want to get to that point where you're not stalling the aircraft. So you're looking at performance charts. You're thinking about, you know, density altitude and, and how much do I weigh? So the, the, the weight and balance things in helicopters are pretty close to airplanes, but they have additional little cutout based on, you know, you have the, the lateral and, and, and longitudinal c- center of gravity, but there's a couple more factors in there in terms of like the rotor is above you. So you got a lot more weight above you. So like when helicopters go into the water, they flip immediately because all the weight's up above. So um, I've had, I've had a few passengers in the past between the two of us um, for like gross weight, we could get in there, but the forward CG was just too much. And it's just a little cut out of the window and in, in the weight and balance. So there's a couple more three-dimensional thoughts in terms of weight and planning and weather. Um, and so, as I said before, helicopter is a bit more forgiving in the aerodynamics, but they're definitely a lot more rewarding. So there's, I think that was the, the really alluring thing with learning to fly helicopters is, is this concept of, you know, all the, the airspace, navigation, communication, all stuff's in my past and something I keep current on and very, try to be proficient in and uh suddenly we're taking the same thing in a different form and making it a bit more challenging it's a bit more spicy and and the payoff was being able to you know land wherever we want to a certain degree uh in in my experience so far i've been flying helicopters i guess about six years now um go land at the ocean on the beach sure uh you know my instagram's loaded up with pictures that we got girls my my other girls were five years old climbing out of the helicopter with a, a bag with sand tools and just start digging in the sand completely oblivious to the fact that we just landed here in a helicopter meanwhile there's 75 airplanes on this beach we're the helicopter and you typically are the helicopter so um so there's a, a washington state airport on the west coast uh near ocean shores washington called capalis and uh depending on the tide uh the sand the slightly wet sand is actually the best sand to land on for for wheeled aircraft yeah so uh we had a fly-in out there we had i think it was 75 airplanes and uh with so the funny thing about that trip was we um I, I kind of assumed in a lot of these fly-ins we have a barbecue but it was so remote no one brought a barbecue so we had like a couple bags of chips and some waters and and naturally five-year-olds are constantly eating most kids are and like oh man i felt like at that moment as a parent i completely forgot i brought them their sand tools and they're totally happy with that digging in the sand but then like daddy i'm hungry I'm like oh no we can't can't go anywhere you know because we we had to kind of commit to hanging out for a bit that airplanes landing and it got to the point where you know we, we went home and, and fed them but their blood sugars were dropping and you know at some point 
you know, the crying that happens and then, <laughs> sorry, we have to get back in the, the chopper and fly home now, you know, <laughs> How, mm-hmm. so, so measuring your pretentiousness with potentially flying in the helicopter is also another thing to keep in check with being humble, being like a pilot period, having an airplane before rental or owning it, but then showing up in a helicopter. So it's been pretty, it stands out. So you definitely want to be uh, an ambassador to the sport and be inviting and showing people how it works rather than being um, kind of standoffish and like, get away from me, peasant. Right. Yes. One bag of chips at a, at a fly-in sounds like precosh potential. Yes. <laughs> yes. Write that down. That is our game plan. That is our game yeah, plan. 